clubhouse. Justice and principle? Do you think either of those take precedence over the life of your own child? Ever? Your lies, your manipulations, you're fucking me up. It's not my soul that needs cleansing, Michael. It's yours. Listen, I'll go. I'll go to the police. But it was me. We tell them. It was me. Please, please. I don't want to be this person. I don't want to lie anymore. But he is my son. Am, am I a bad person? Because I value my own life so much less than the life of my child. Four children, their mother are dead because of you. This is Caroline. And this is Mike. Welcome to Tales from Yaya's, the Your Honor podcast. Tonight we're discussing part 10, the finale, the ending, the big enchilada comes to a close of Your Honor. It was written by Peter Moffat, who also developed the series for Showtime, and it was directed by series star Brian Cranston, which is really interesting because, you know, Michael has a lot to do in this episode, but... Maybe not as much as other episodes. So it's always interesting when someone is directing themselves and how much participation they have in the episode. The end credits came up. What was just your first gut reaction? Whoa. <laughs> I was like, holy shit. I, people were walking by in my house and one said, why were you putting your hand up to your mouth like that? <laughs> oh, and I oh, was like, yeah. well, I was really surprised at what happened. I watched this at... 7 a.m. and I was not fully awake and so the whole episode I was just I was holding my head in my hands just what what is happening like it's it's all it's all coming together it's you know it I, I can't believe there's only x amount of minutes left I can't believe there's only a 58 minute episode they yeah. it's it's really jam-packed with a lot of things and then that ending with the gun coming up and 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 oh my god I, yeah I definitely did a whole kung fu jitsu like <laughs> choppy thing with my legs in my hands you know one of <laughs> I those did kinds do, of moves i did do one of these the baseball the baseball the baseball paid the blood money yeah the I baseball mean, provided the money that bought the gun that killed the boy i mean it's like the worst dr seuss story ever it, it's yeah it's very like hole on the log in the middle of the, you know, <laughs> the it, swamp it, 
in the end, it came down to all of those loose threads that you and I have been tracking and talking about and keeping an eye on all season long and raising the questions of. It didn't come down to any of the predictable players. You know, it didn't come down to really Jimmy doing something. It didn't come down to really Carlo doing something. You know, it didn't really come down to Michael doing something. It came down to Eugene, who we were worried about the whole damn time. Eugene. Yeah. And, and, you know, for a lot of reasons to worry about Eugene, worry about him and himself and his soul and what he might do also, you know, the inward and the outward, because it was unclear how he was going to break and how he was going to process all of this information. I think there are some preliminaries we should discuss, though, in this finale before we even get down to any of the character specifics, because this is a finale and Showtime has been referring to this and all the press leading up to it as the finale, the conclusion, the end. I think I think they have been without saying in a definitive way, because I don't think any network is ever definitive, that this is the end of this story. Yes. And I think the way the show wrapped up, especially the last few minutes, really takes out the, the wind out of the sails of a season two, because yeah, all the leverage the is totally right, gone. For in our intent and purposes, I think we should probably discuss this as a finale, as the conclusion of the story and, and look at it from that standpoint. There's a lot of things that ended up not getting addressed that I think a lot of fans were looking at. You know, we're recording this before the episode even airs but i think once people have seen it like so many finales there are going to be a lot of people who are unhappy with things that didn't get answered things that didn't get wrapped up the the neat bow people who need every single answer given to them are you one of the people who need every answer answered in a story for a finale hmm. i think that most of the time i like to have enough information for me to at least reasonably fill out the story in my mind if they're not going to tell me everything that happens. However, you and I have been discussing a lot about this particular genre and this idea of like a mystery suspense type of show. It's something that I haven't necessarily watched that much of. It's not really something that like I've looked into that much except for you and I just did The Undoing and Your Honor is very similar in the same feel. And so once I sort of had to start wrapping my brain around the idea that we have to have some storylines that are going to go and lead us in directions that we don't end up with the full story there because we get dragged back to the main story and another little branch goes off in another direction. That's the fun and the structure of a mystery. I think that will drive some people absolutely crazy, but right. I think it's necessary. You know, if if you grew up doing like the little pencil mazes, uh, you know, you have to get from point A to point B. The best mazes, the ones that kept your attention, the ones that really challenged you, took you on really long paths that eventually ended. But it wasn't a short wall that you hit. You 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 were in there tracing, making your left, making your right turns for quite a while, and then. And you hit a wall and it's frustrating as hell but it kept you engaged it kept you doing the thing it kept you out of your parents hair for quite a bit of time that's a good maze that's good maze construction and i think a good mystery construction in particular that has a lot of twists and turns and, and is trying to fill 10 hours in a cohesive way that makes a lot of sense that doesn't feel like filler has to throw storylines at you that are not going to have neat endings they're going to hit walls and just stop 
And they have to because we have to pull back to the main trunk of the story. That's where the actual mystery lies. And as much as it's interesting to see, will this path reveal some information that's going to somehow let me know what is happening in the main mystery here? Ultimately, they were not the mystery we were there to solve. Case in point, the Robin storyline. We weren't here to find out who killed Robin or who she was having an affair with or why. But we were so curious. We were so, you know, teased that it felt like, oh, my God, why are we not learning more? Why did we even go here? Right. And especially as the season went on. Now, there are a couple of clues that in the end, this wasn't going to be a main thrust storyline. The fact that they edited out of the actual episode, Senator Grandma coming to Nancy with the pictures that we eventually saw as a previously on, but it was not actually ever previously on an episode they were making editing choices as they're going along they clearly had the footage but for either time or to finish the main story that they actually had committed to tell they couldn't get into the ramen storyline and you know what it was not essential to the main story the main story is michael desiato decides to cover up as best he can his son's involvement in the death of a gangster's son what will he do and how far will he go in order to keep his son safe that's the story that they had to tell and you know what at the end of the 10th episode that story is concluded michael and adam's story as far as rocco baxter's death is done it is absolutely 100 percent. and all the little extra things that we thought we saw blair underwood joining the cast and then no signs of blair Right. Anywhere, you know, right. little moments like that where we thought, OK, we're getting a better understanding of this or casting someone like Margot Martindale and feeling like, OK, this is Senator Grandma. Surely she is going to play so big in this story. She's going to be so important. And then mm, oddly, the way that that ended up editing, her damage was actually done off screen. Right. Exactly. Exactly. And so it, it the I'm glad I'm glad we mentioned the undoing already because if you guys watch HBO's The Undoing, a six episode murder mystery story, th- one of the key cast members cast for the show is Donald Sutherland, a legend of TV, film, and and stage. Uh, the guy is literally a living legend, and so all through the six episodes, you and I every week were, when's Donald gonna get into it? We were we had him doing every goddamn thing in that show, <laughs> you know. He was responsible for. We won't spoil it. For- for you guys because we know you want to watch the undoing and we know you want to listen to our podcast so you can listen to all of our theories on where donald plays in so getting back to the robin storyline i know there are a lot of people who are going to be upset or bothered maybe maybe even feel like the show teased them too much or let them down by not following through by introducing the pictures her final pictures by having the nancy and senator grandma storyline by casting blair underwood it, and 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 announcing the character he would play a reporter involved with robin working on you know some under kind of cover story there, there was a lot of information released when blair underwood was announced in the casting of the show and i was really looking forward to it yeah i, I love blair underwood i'm a fan from like long ago so for it not to occur and for also, again, to have the Nancy Senator Grandma scenes not actually make it into the episode. Or the Senator Grandma Adam scenes. Now, I got to tell you, every week we have access to not only the screeners for the show, we also have access to the PR photos. There was a PR photo for episode nine showing Senator Grandma, Margot Martindale, and and Adam, Hunter Duhan, together on a, on a bench. It looked like in the backyard. There was film. There were pictures taken of a scene of them together, 
presumably her telling him. And originally it was described as part of episode nine. So the show up until as very recently was making editing choices about how much of Robin and Robin fallout they were going to show us kind of wild when you think about it. That being said, I don't know how they, I don't know how they do that story justice in the 10 hours that we were given because i feel like they barely got in the main story at the end of the day are you upset did this, does it take away for you from from the the overall enjoyment of the show caroline that we didn't get a robin resolution at all in another genre in like some sort of family drama yeah i would be pissed i'd be like why we don't ever get to find out what happened to the mother like this is nonsense but in a mystery where we have to be distracted, they have to take us down these paths. They have to keep us a little bit wondering about where could other people possibly weave back into the story. I understand they have to do this. And, and anyone who's super angry about this, I think Franny is another great example. Why wow. do we even have to have this teacher storyline? Why right. does she even have to be a part of the story? She really, if you think about it, she didn't have to be there. You know, if you said, you know what, let's trade all the time we ever saw with Franny with the scenes for Senator Grandma and let's like put them back in time wise. I think that, yes, that's true, but we had to keep Franny on the table. We had to keep the possibility that she could spill the beans. She had to be a player in making sure that Charlie knew so that there could be more people. So there's little tiny boxes that they that they check and then they fall off the list of importance. You just don't know when they fell off. You know, when was the last time you were going to see them? We didn't think it was going to be Franny in the bar talking to Charlie. I didn't think that was the last time we saw her. Yeah, it, it, no resolution to the Franny storyline. No but is resol- it okay, though, Mike? Like, Yeah. We're saying the word resolution, but is it more like Franny had a role to play. She brought the story and the information all the way to Charlie. Her role was completed. What, what, what more were we expecting? I mean, they broke up. You know, she passed the information on. Well, sure, but she also made threats to Adam, though. I guess I'm guess i I'm not bothered by it. I, I'm actually very happy with the story that we got. And I'm someone who, from episode one or two, when we do our predictions and questions we'd like answered, from it was episode one or two, I said, I want to know more about the Robin murder and everything that happened with her. Right. There's a whole story there. There may be a whole series there. And maybe, maybe that's why. Let's start a rumor mill. Maybe that's why they... <laughs> edit it all out maybe that maybe the show does get a season two but it's really just a robin storyline and that's where blair underwood comes in who knows i can't imagine it'd be wild but it's doable i mean you can and back it up back it up a year um and tell that story like the robin storyline which i was actually very invested in in the end i wasn't bothered i would have liked an answer i would have liked to know was she keeping tabs on adam and whether or not he told fia because she did make some threats to on top of telling charlie accidentally you know she made some implicit threats to going to fia behind adam's back if adam didn't come clean how was she checking that how was she tracking that information i yeah. don't know did right. she did she did she get her job back at in the nola schools after nyu going to new york with her love is not on the table anymore i don't know Th- those are types of questions that like i don't even ask once i realized yeah. the role she needed to play in this was the passer of the information she was the note passer from herself to charlie and then that was going to allow the next like you know it's the whole domino effect like she's the little she's the little thing that had to fall over and hit charlie to make charlie hit nancy and so it's it's all just that and i think if we can help our listeners really imagine it in those terms imagine it more like domino runs or 
it's a Rube Goldberg situation. Because if you can just think of these storylines more like that, then the concept of a resolution, it probably is right off the table. Because that would be like saying, well, in the third step, the bowling ball hits the pin. But where was the bowling ball going to go? What was the bowling ball story before that? Like, it doesn't matter. Its whole point was just to bang into the next pin and push the story forward. Now, that... I agree with you, but then there there's another basket, though, that I think is valid of editing choices to ask and say, I think it would have increased my enjoyment or understanding of the storyline had they shown us some things. So in this basket, I am putting, because they introduced this idea of Nancy telling Senator Grandma that she had to tell Adam, and the way this episode plays out between Michael and Adam, the really real interaction between Michael and Adam in this episode is fall out from the information he learns from his grandmother. God, that scene was so weird, Mike. It was weird because we didn't get to see actually Adam learn the information and deal with it. We didn't get to see his reaction from it. it it's it's the show telling us this is a thing that happened and now you're just going to watch the fallout. You're going to see Adam by the river looking at pictures, looking for Lorne and you're going to see Michael out of the blue ripping into Senator Grandma and being visceral about it. Yeah. Like, because it was so emotionally charged not only Michael and Senator Grandma going at it, you know, like you know, why do you want our fucking strangers? And oh you know, my God, the fuck that did was you do, so Elizabeth? Much. Oh my oh God! Oh my God! It was like whips across the face. It was, it was. so much. This was a very intense scene, but I felt like the pendulum swung in all directions for emotions. Yeah. I feel like I understand your need to understand more about Robin because she keeps coming up. Right. Oh, my God. When Michael is telling this entire story, you know, the reason why we need to understand the difference between a lie and what is love. Listen to the story, this little metaphor where I totally broke your your mother's ribs. What the actual fuck, Caroline? What, what the actual actual fat what you're breaking her ribs on your wet are you are you an actual psychopath possibly i kind of really put him in a different light in my head between the explosion Mm -hmm. at elizabeth and yelling like fuck a stranger and all this kind of stuff then he broke her ribs and somehow he's telling this story in a way that's like with glee to adam like see she loved me so much that she didn't even tell me i broke her ribs because she didn't want to wreck my day that's the kind of woman she is i'm so shocked though wait wait mike for a minute if i just told you right this second if i was like hey listen my friend got married yesterday and her husband broke her ribs on that day but as to not ruin his good time she didn't mention that she had broken ribs isn't that adorable what would you say to me Someone should probably call protective services yes. or get her a therapist. Yes. Like this is like a strange, abusive situation when you like really just and we're not reading into it. I'm just saying what they said. I've hugged people really tightly. I'm a pretty big guy. I'm a pretty strong guy. I've given some big bear hugs in my day. I've never broken anyone's fucking rib, Caroline. Not once. And not once have I broken be, someone's rib. Would you be telling the story? With a smile on your face saying how proud you were of the person with the broken rib for not telling you and wrecking your day. He presents it like a fucking Mr. Rogers like parable so of weird. is it love or is it a lie? I don't think that story hits the way you think it hits, Michael. Desiato. It doesn't hit me the way that I think it's supposed to hit. And Adam's response, his, his laughter, 
He's smiling during that entire little judge's chamber scene. The joking, oh, you hurt me. Oh, no, what did I do? Oh, you cracked my rib. <laughs> Everyone's laughing. What is happening? I think the show spends the episode foretelling Adam's death by wrapping up his relationships. This is the time for Michael and Adam, because remember, you and I had the sense of foreboding at the end of episode nine, you know, as the camera's pulling away from Michael in the kitchen, you and I both thought for sure that was the last time those two were going to see each other. Another editing choice. We never see Adam with the Baxters. I feel like everything was so out of context in this episode because we never got to see Adam meet Jimmy Baxter. That's a fucking huge meeting we have to see and not be told about or implied about why that's crazy it did to feel like a huge see. vacuum there of information it, it when it came to the baxters i thought that scene was so impactful when we have the camera floating away from michael standing in the kitchen but that entire scene is nullified for me when you follow that with grab assing in the judges chambers Right, and making peace with each other, and I wouldn't have told me either. Yeah, that whole thing. This is the most these two have gotten along since the series has begun. And and so that's why it was very foretelling. When the episode is finished, I'm looking back on it, I'm saying, I'm thinking to myself, this is... Adam, without even maybe realizing it, making peace with those in his life, because he has a very kind of similar, where do we go from here in our relationship moment with Fia, literally moments before he's killed, is is the whole road trip where let's get away from our families, let's get away from this life and go to Alaska as far from New Orleans as you can be and be on a road trip forever in the bug, just you, me, and the road, Jack Kerouac style, begin our lives anew. That's a very conclusion-esque end to this other relationship. So his final direction with his father is this happy, reconnected note, and his final moments with Fia that he's aware of are this very happy final moment. So Hunter leaves this earth in a very good place emotionally, I guess is my point. And I think the show goes through a lot of pains to show us that. Whether or not it works, I, I take on Bridgers because because the, the without knowing any more of the Robin backstory, without knowing more of how Adam took the information from his grandmother out of the blue, without all of that, it's hard to actually gauge the efficacy of that scene. I'm glad that Brian Cranston did the directing on this last one. But had I not even known that, I would have said, Mike, something is extremely jarring about episode 10. Things started to fall apart about episode, I don't know what, eight or so, where we started to be like, why don't we have all the information? Wait a minute. Where was that scene? What happened in this one? Why are they doing it this way? All the different things. These these last couple of episodes definitely suffer from last minute decision making. That's what it is. I'm positive. It definitely affected how when I go back and I looked at different scenes and things that seemed artistically done well shot that again that floating down the hall like Adam was leaving I don't want the judge's chamber scene I don't want him to make amends with anybody I want him to float out of Michael's life that is how it was supposed to go in my opinion and then they kind of ended up smacking on these scenes that felt like Okay, these are two characters. Michael and Adam have never slapped, grabbed at each other 
in 10 episodes. What are we seeing? What even is this? Every, every now and then you read these Hollywood stories where uh, an, uh, an auteur director is making the movie that, you know, he or she wants to make. And it's close to the end of the process. And the, and the studio sends a note and says, this is too much of a downer. You can't kill the lead. You can't kill the dog. Whatever it is, you got to make it happy. You got to make it happy snappy. You know, we got to make it pop. You know, yeah. people don't want to leave the theater sad. Like just like so, end it on a dance scene. And you're like, wait, what? <laughs> that doesn't make right, sense. Exactly. 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 And and so where where did I just you, uh, kiss, kiss, bang, bang. Uh, this is this is exactly the ending of Kiss Kiss Bang Bang that Robert Downey Jr. narrates in that movie. You and I just watched this for another podcast that we do, 52 Weeks of Christmas. Uh, Val Kilmer's character unlikely comes walking into the hospital room. And this is the exact point that he's making is the studio interferes and says, no, no, you got to make it a little bit happier. This is what this all feels like to me, because I am 100% with you. Adam and Michael should never have had another scene together. That was their goodbye. Yes. Sad as it was as doom heavy as it seemed that was the right ending it felt like for the tone of the show not this uh, uh chambers judges chambers scene let me lay this out to you what if it had been adam went to fia's house ends up spending the night at the baxters comes to court the next day and the rest of it plays out just as it did in terms of like being in the courtroom michael sees from afar jimmy looking at adam all the things is starting to putting it together all the things that happen and then that scene of him like looking in the window and seeing Jimmy hug Adam, all those things happen, but minus them ever talking to each other again. Yeah. It's all just Michael watching it from afar. That plays out so much better. It plays out so much better and also plays out for the arc of Adam in the series. Adam pulls away from his father throughout this entire series. He pulls away from Fran he pulls away from other than Charlie. He abandons everything he knew halfway through the series and devotes all of his time to Fia and building that relationship for good or bad. That's another discussion, but he removes himself Probably for bad. He removes himself <laughs> from Michael and that, that storyline, letting Django's medicine lapse, you know, never being home anymore. How never many times answering the damn phone, pick up your fucking phone kids. God damn it. That pissed me off so much. Pick up your fucking phone. The amount of arguing about picking up that phone throughout this entire series for right. that last couple scenes outside the hotel for him to turn his phone off. I was like, is this even real? Like, has he really made he, he just hugged his dad. He just had the slap happy grab fest. Right. And you still aren't going to answer the phone when your dad calls? What your are you dog, doing? Your, your dog almost died because you didn't give him medicine the last time you weren't picking up your phone. How is that not a lesson? Kids. Kids can, can <laughs> turn you gray. So, so I, but I, that's why I feel like all of that, that's kind of who Adam had become, right? Adam had become a kid who didn't pick up his father's call after what you got the impression was a lifetime of always picking up his father's call. Adam was a kid who always gave Django his medicine every day, was a good dog dad, never missed those things. And he became a kid who, who through grief or through puppy dog love or a combination thereof, 
I honestly think his brain started to crack there at yeah. the end. Like he did not know who, what was up and down, what, who what was, was right, right and wrong, who were the good people, who were the bad people. Well, that's what Fanny's trying to tell him, right? In last episode, right, and and which we agreed with, gross as she is, and the and the storyline is, she was giving real advice. You're not actually in love with this girl. You just are drawn to her because of the circumstances. Well, I think that's 100 percent right. Yeah, Adam Adam's brain is broken for sure. So all of that and all of those actions, everything he does after the courtroom scene after the chamber scene all fits in that as does his ennui of looking at pictures of his parents and then looking at pictures of him and fia all on the same kind of camera roll on his phone all of that is the adam that we kind of got to know in this series the chamber judges chambers definitely feels like a note of you gotta make it a little happier you gotta have these two end on a good note because you know they're not gonna have another interaction but yeah so and it's a shame too because the scene where Michael is in the courtroom and he's and the the lawyers are droning on about whether or not to let Eugene testify and it all becomes background noise and he's on, on kind of like underwater sound watching uh, Adam and Fia and Jimmy and Jimmy's smugness and and boom 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 probably my favorite scene in the series i loved how it was shot i loved how it was edited it 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 was everything coming together in his brain and forcing him to make final decisions on this journey that he was in because he knew adam was in the spider's web i absolutely loved it i agree in terms of the best scene shot were that definitely that scene and then the scene following right after the 911 breathing when we have jimmy and gina going outside and and adam trying to catch his breath and that was a beautiful yeah i kind of thought he was even going to hear him in when he started breathing like that actually in the courtroom i thought someone was going to make a connection there but that silhouetting of him of adam in the in the really bright glass it had such a church stained glass feel like a real like you're about to die and we're going to somehow uh, memorialize you in some way on this big stained glass window. There was this whole churchy feel about it. It was very religious for sure. And in a lot of ways, and Gina and Jimmy's reaction to it, the way oh they're staring at him, God. half in horror and half in realization, it's almost because they had always associated those, that, those breathing moments as Rocco's final moments. And so imagine- and additionally, they thought the inhaler belonged to Michael. So it was both parts here that went like, boom, like crash. Well, yeah, maybe. I don't know. I, I, I feel like Jimmy kind of got wise by last episode once once that got introduced. I, something tells me he, he starts saying, It's the click of the inhaler, though, when he goes, It is. That's what makes them look. And so I don't know. I'm saying I, he did. He thought the inhaler belonged to Michael. The silhouetting of him, though, looked like he was almost gone, like like he was already dead. But in from Jimmy and Gina's standpoint, though, because it was in shadow and they're both 17 year old boys and so naturally have a similar kind of build. There's a there's a, it kind of works on a double meaning where it's almost like their son is standing across the hall because of the sound that they had associated, the asthma sound that they had been associating with Rocco's final moments, not with as an as an asthma attack. You know, it, it's almost like the horror of their son's death had become manifest real in the hallway but then also the horror of 
oh my god our daughter's boyfriend who we met but we didn't get to show the audience is standing across the hallway and he's the one who killed our son it's it's really really well done and just the idea of gina leaving the courtroom and then adam leaving the courtroom and then jimmy leaving the courtroom one by one because they can't take the tape as michael of fuck's sakes is narrating the goddamn thing i mean oh i I mean i loved it i liked how it played out it was great drama but i can't imagine a scenario where anyone lets the judge narrate the 911 tape like he's fucking richard attenborough you know like (laughs) and these are the sounds of a 17 year old in the last gasps of death it was so bad and the humpback whale behind him breaching it's beautiful you know i it just just doesn't happen to i wanted to get us back to the judge's chamber conversation only because not because i want to talk about that scene but there is an overall episode theme that plays out about justice and what is justice which is something you and i have spent a lot of episodes talking about in our comrade discussions what is justice for this show is it michael dying is it adam dying is it no one more is it no one else dying and and lee really brings this home in her judges chambers conversation with michael about the idea of cleansing the soul what michael has to do to cleanse the soul she she throws in that there's a, a mother and four dead children because of michael and what can you do to make justice for kofi for those for the famali family all of that In the end, was justice served in this episode? Does Adam's death balance the karma scales? Is that justice? No, not even a little bit, not even a little tiny bit. No, because of the amount of people's lives that Michael ruined. I mean, Lee's career is ruined. You know, what about Sarah? What about her career? What about everything going on with Eugene's family? Of course, but then move on over to what was his name? Trevor, the guy who's in the bottom of the the lake. I mean, Mm -hmm. no, no, this is not enough. It is not enough. But the sad thing is that it's never enough. Like you can't undo something that was so egregious. And he just kept dragging in more innocent people. If Adam paying the ultimate price with his life doesn't bring justice even a little bit, like you said, was justice ever possible? It is is letting Eugene testify ever going to bring justice? Or is Lee just trying to make herself feel better and try and fix the little part of the world that she's trying to fix? I think that it's it goes on this false premise that somehow by telling the truth, somehow by obtaining the, the right person as the person who actually did it, somehow undoes what the damage was. I think that's a false premise. You can't, you can't go backwards. So no, I don't, I don't think that there's any point. And I think once that Kofi's entire family was killed, we got, we went way too far. Like so many people were on the damage side. There was no going back. You know, there, there never was going to be justice in this situation. It was always going to be insane. Now, Eugene, is aiming for presumptively Carlo right? because that's who's standing in front of him. And then he goes into the hug with Gina, which allows the bullet to fly past him and, and hit Adam in the neck, who is standing with Fia in the, in the background, mm-hmm. which in a way, though Eugene doesn't know it, actually has Eugene killing the one who's really responsible for his brother's death. Is that at least accidental justice for Kofi? From Eugene's standpoint, 
because the look of horror on his face is he doesn't know the little the white kid he just shot. He missed the one he was aiming for, and the, as he drops a gun, he's got he he goes just blank. His mouth is just in horror, agape as he runs. I think that reasoning though that like I don't think Adam caused Kofi's death. Michael caused Kofi's death. Not no, Adam. So yeah. in that case, no, I, I still don't think, no. I mean, you can kill Adam all day long. That doesn't, it doesn't bring Kofi back to life. And right. it doesn't make him responsible. In fact, he was, remember, say his name, dad, Kofi Jones, say his name. Right. No, Adam wasn't for Kofi getting involved. He didn't want any of this to happen. Let's get to the hypotheticals, though. What if it's Michael standing b- behind Carlo and takes it in the neck? Does my- does Michael getting shot and killed in such a horrible, slow, gross death way bring some closure or justice to any of these parties? Uh, I hear what you're saying. I'm just trying to, I just want to exhaust the scale because, I think it, because, because it's conversation. We've spent a lot of time and now we're here. So the I wanna, lead I wanna... conversation when she says four children and a mother are dead. Right. Michael doesn't balance that, that teeter totter either. You know, like right. no four baby children are dead, you know, and, and a mom, like what the hell plus Trevor and all those other people's lives are affected right. too. The company, the finance company, that's never going to get paid back on their boat. They're going to have to go repo that. that. What about the boat? They got to go repo that boat. It's got blood in it. Exactly. It's never going to hold its resale value now. Oh, I mean, like like a car, boats are even worse. As soon as you put it in the water, it loses you know two thirds of its sale sale you know resale value. You add blood and guts and Trevor Gore to it, Uh, man. I I think justice is is kind of a wild concept when you really think about it. And you're a lawyer, so you can speak to this more clearly than a lay person like myself. But I will say justice... I'm not that kind of lawyer. Justice has <laughs> this implied everything's okay. You know, it's right. just, it's implied. Like, this is the salve. We're going to make everything better with justice. But the reality is that underneath that salve is still a wound. And you didn't undo the wound. The wound's right. still going to be there. And even if it heals, there'll always be a scar. There will have always been damage. So justice is not like some magic wand that undid what happened. You just feel somewhat compensated maybe, you know, in some way, whether it's money or what have you, that somehow you can kind of try to make things better. But when you take another life for it, it doesn't bring back the person you love. Right. It's vengeance. It's not justice. It's vengeance. Well, and so what is, as a lawyer, can you explain to any of us what is the difference between justice and vengeance well it's it's what the death penalty represents the death penalty doesn't bring justice for those that were killed by the person now being put to death it's state-sponsored retribution against a perpetrator of a crime it's vengeance it's Hammurabi's code it's the one of the oldest one of the oldest codes we have lived by as a civilization forever the idea of eye for an eye and a tooth for a tooth and in this case in jimmy's case a a kid for a kid it's the you know it's kind of what uh, charlie and michael are are talking about a little bit in this episode the idea that you can't make it better you can't balance the karma scales so i can take only the thing that's of equivalent value to you it's revenge it's pure it's bloodlust it's you killed mine so i'm going to kill yours that doesn't make me it doesn't make me whole it doesn't unbreak my heart as tony braxton would ask us to do so then what's justice 
there is no justice in this situation. What is justice, period, though? Like, what is justice? What makes it? What do you do? I can understand situations where you can make some things right, like, say, fraud, and you're out money, and then somehow the system gives you the money back. Okay. There is no justice in murder. There's some sort of justice. Okay. There's no justice in murder. There is only holding those accountable by cutting them off from the rest of the human population. That's not justice because justice implies you can put the thing back the way it was. And I don't think that's possible in a murder case. There are just things that can happen to you that I pray will happen to you, horrible things that I pray will happen to you that will just make the animalistic side of me feel better or at least make me feel better knowing you're going through a a modicum of the pain that I am now experiencing. Okay. So, I mean, I know that they use like the scales as like the, the symbol of justice. So in many ways, everything we're talking about, I've been using the word teeter totter or what have you. Sure. You know, when you have a death, we've been talking about balancing the karma scales, right? I mean, we've been talking about that, right. You pile the body on one side and then you pile up all these other deeds and bodies on the other side. I agree with you that in the in the case of murder, there really is no justice for the whole situation. The best, I guess, we can say is to take someone bad off the streets or off the earth, I suppose, somehow makes there be more good people on earth than bad. And so if a good person is killed, we should take a bad person off because that somehow balances the scales. Right, right. And and you can't even say, well, if Michael only had four other kids and a wife, we could go kill all of them and that would balance the scales. But it doesn't because those are also innocent, just the way Kofi right, and his bads. brothers. And, <laughs> right, right, right. Exactly. Yeah, you would need four psychopaths in his family and take them off the board to, to maybe justify your actions. Yeah, justice is a really amorphous concept. It's totally arbitrary because we talk about it in terms of on this side of the scale. Sure, you, you killed a person. Sure, you killed five people. Sure, you killed seven people in the quest that, you know, to protect your son. And now, OK, judge, you're going to go to jail for 25 years, maybe life. And that doesn't fucking balance to me. I, I, I don't I, I mean, the, the the weight of the corpses is hanging real low on that on that scale to me. I don't see balancing there. Justice is a really arbitrary concept where that we we say this is justice for this. You know, X is justice for Y. But that's all just bullshit. It's all just make believe. If you could take it on the most basic level and you say, like, this was a good, innocent person. This person has done terrible things. That is the only really balancing of the skills that happens. But in terms of the best of, like, of a bad situation, for sure, of a yeah. terrible situation. And, mm-hmm. you know, mm-hmm. that that entire conversation with Lee, I appreciated how absolutely indignant she got with Michael when she slaps his face mm-hmm. and is like, wake the fuck up. Like, you don't you get trying me to tell me, Oh, my God, that was excellent. But even just the whole like trying to turn it on her. Like, she needs to cleanse her soul? It was like, oh, get out of my face, you know? Now, again, this is where I would have appreciated another couple scenes of them actually having a relationship together. Because this would have been so much more impactful if we didn't just have the one booty call 
coming over for dinner kind of moment. Then nothing for three episodes. Then the I love you to distract from Sarah's arrest. And then nothing for another episode until this scene. <laughs> yeah, I mean, and then the whole you don't get me anymore. Well, that would have meant so much had right. we been building this relationship this whole time. Because then not only does he lose Adam, he loses Lee. In theory, he was trying to act like this might possibly be next steps for him. Right. Well, so so here's the thing, right? What Michael's doing, Michael's doing throughout this episode, I mean, really, in, in a way, he's even doing it with Senator Grandma at the very top of the episode where he's turning her telling Adam really against her, which... I agree. It was none of her fucking business, and Adam didn't need to know. And I was against Nancy's whole position from last week that he has to know. Why the fuck does he have to know? Like, if he finds out, he finds out. But I I agree with actually a lot of what Michael says about the absolutist devotion to truth. You know, even when someone's passed and they can no longer defend themselves. He has actually a lot of good points there, I think. But when Nancy calls him on, I I know what this is, righteousness and anger are the tools of the liar. That's what he's doing. Oh, fuck yeah it is and that's <laughs> when she what said he's... that i was like Ooh. <laughs> oh, damn you know yeah. if her name was gina it would have been perfect yeah what that's what he's doing here with lee though and we've seen him employ this his 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 ability to get indignant on the spot it's a real tool in his toolbox all season long it was master manipulation it was you know when he's in the diner with nancy in order to convince her to show him the dmv records he plays her abusive past like a little bit of a fiddle to to sway her and and she's a tough cookie the Mm. i love you this is a well michael has gone to before with lee in order to manipulate her right charlie tells him you gotta fuck her to control her and so he fucks her and controls her for quite a bit sort of does he control her for a bit at least he's aware of her there's a period of time where he knows what she's doing for like 30 seconds though i mean seriously well, for one episode right but he loses all track of her yeah i mean this was one of the complaints that we had early on was like you right. have lost all track of where lee is who she's talking to what she's even doing that happened so fast and i couldn't understand that because it was like wait we're supposed to think they have some sort of relationship building here and also he seems to never know anything she's doing yeah, I mean, the last conversation, I think, and I'm sure you guys listening can quote me, can, can correct me if I'm wrong. I think the last conversation Lee and Michael even have when she calls him to tell him that Carlo is about to be is about to be arrested for killing Kofi. I think that's the last conversation they have before this episode. But who knows what with some of the editing in the show, maybe there is a lot of, you know, booty calling going on, relationship going on that we're just not seeing. I thought there'd and, be so much more texting and and just stuff like that going on where there was just little touch bases like what are you doing in georgia what are you doing there oh what where are you like i don't know i I know what's going on in that trial with carlo like why are you dismissing black jurors that's not cool i i was actually surprised to see how many people they allowed in that courtroom yes that were just complete freaking randos like why does charlie get to sit in there right 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 why does why does adam i mean really i mean he's the judge's son i guess but i don't see he's not COVID essential i don't see why he was allowed to be in there but uh but all of that being said i really like that and because i you know I think in a lot of ways, this is the first time Michael had been really confronted with anything he's doing. And when he breaks down and says, I don't want to be the man, this man anymore. I don't want to be a liar anymore, though. He's about to ask her to a lie one more time and let him take the fall for Adam, which is kind of the same track Charlie takes with Nancy. And, you know, this idea of all of it is coming up, coming 
apart so fast for Michael. In the end, he just wants everyone to be cool and let him take the fall for the thing. He literally is just his whole defense is be cool, be cool. <laughs> his whole defense is be cool. Pretty much just, it. just say I did that. All of that being said, I think there's some great face acting that's going on when Eugene comes in and identifies the gray ghost as being at his front door the morning that the morning that Rocco is killed. So it couldn't have been Michael. Her face, the face acting here without dialogue of realizing it was actually Adam driving the car was great. And they never say it, even when she's like, well, then who had access to the car? Well, Michael's face just went like, it's totally like, you know who it is. Like, you know, like his eyes are like piercing into her, like, come on now, get there quicker. Like, you know, you know who had access to the car. Yeah, it wasn't the neighbor. It wasn't Chatty Cathy across the across the way. It wasn't Mrs. Kravitz. Nana Pistachio. Nana Pistachio she across the way. She never even came back in. She never. I know. And I know there are people in the Facebook group that are going to be upset about the fact that Nana Pistachio Why Nana never Pistachio? came back. I wonder if she parked her car there. Ooh, Nana. Listen, this was a tense episode. There was a lot of high emotion in this episode. When that motherfucker starts to Forrest Gump it down to the Baxter Hotel, <laughs> I was laughing my ass off. When uh, he roars, he's like, oh, he's double barking in front of my driveway. And then he starts to Forrest Gump it. I was like, this is why he's been training for a marathon all fucking series. Right here, right now. This is the time, Michael. I, so I appreciate the laughter. And I, and I did for a second, too. But I also had that moment of like... I don't know if you've ever been in a situation where your child is like on the other end of something and you have to physically get there. You have to run. You have to lunge. You have to physically lift something off of them. My heart was just pounding because I felt every bit of that like hopelessness and like your 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 human body is only capable of so much and so trying to run faster than a car run faster than than everything around you it was like impossible but like he is just giving it every shred of what he had left at the end for that for that to be the end when you think about it the the like you know you've you've almost done like planes trains and automobiles to literally get to this point and now it's just a foot race for someone's life oh my god could it have gotten more extreme more like heart racing i mean that whole scene the whole scene is so well done even when he's going wild like i mean he's like an animal with the guards outside trying to get inside the way i mean brian cranston is not a big dude i i've seen him in person uh because i've been in a couple panels where he's uh been on in comic cons and stuff and uh he's not a big guy but he is he is acting like like a, a, a professional boxer who wants blood trying to get past those those bouncers outside the hotel what would you do if your kid was in there? Right. Well, that's that's what the whole show is about, I right? How far God. would you go? I'd what be like would you picking do? up anything. I would undo the bike and like, you know, I'm sure he knows the bike code. I would undo the chain and smash it into the windows. Like I would go ape shit because surely if I made enough noise, they would come outside. Maybe I can't get in, but I can make enough noise that maybe people come outside. I mean, he's screaming his fucking head off outside mm. when Adam is going in for the big hug with Jimmy. And come on, <gasps> as far as scenes Mike, go, that, that moment, you know, I had been saying to you, what if he loses his son to the Baxters, not through death, but through being brought into the Baxter family? So when he is outside and he is thrashing outside that window, staring in and Jimmy is looking at him and takes Adam in that embrace, I was like, I knew it. I this was gonna go and i had to say i was still happy even if it was very (laughs) short-lived 
it, it's so well done. There were there were so many looks that Jimmy gives michael in this episode in the courtroom when he catches michael watching fia and adam he gives this smug little Mm -hmm. yeah fucker that's right that's happening you don't even know what's going on in your family when when he's looking at him and did you ever see the movie uh throw mama from the train danny devito's gonna kill his ex-wife and so he's on a she's on a boat and he's going to strangle her he's walking up behind her and so he's got his hands in a choking motion very very you know comically drawn out choking motion right right like like walking like frankenstein with a choking motion and then she bends over a railing she's on a boat and she's bending over because she dropped something over like the railing and so his, he stops and his hands go from a choking motion and they flip up into a pushing motion and then he's walking towards her with like a pushing motion like the rest of the way like he's gonna push her overboard it's very comical there was a little bit of that in like jimmy's like body language great because jimmy and gina had been eyeing like adam like he was meat on the savannah and like the whole party they were watching him almost like he was like half toxic like like a bomb about to go off but half like they were getting ready to pounce on him there's a scene where carlo is looming over looming over adam when he's sitting with fia that's very imposing not that i think carlo knows what's going on here but just this idea of these baxters and adam who has no idea what they know watching him and and keeping an eye on him and so jimmy starts to walk up to him up to adam before he sees michael in the window going nuts in the window and he kind of stops and then he does a calculation in his head and his hands switch from choking to pushing motion right his hands switch to like the big hug like bring it in he knows it's gonna drive michael fucking wild and he knows michael's not going to be able to get in past his goons and the thick glass not be able to be heard it's so masterfully done it made me ask though myself you were like self self <laughs> i actually was like i have to ask caroline this caroline <laughs> yes. if not for eugene yes what does jimmy do with adam after this is he just fucking with michael is this mental torture he's going to continue to do or is he going to hurt adam right because he lures michael down there by by telling him he's having trouble breathing you want to come down to this hotel the family's gathered we'll we'll wait for you like he he's baiting him to come to the hotel is he going to hurt Adam? Is 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 Adam's fate sealed whether or not Eugene shoots him or not? That is such a good question. And I don't I think that some part of me says that I actually wanted to see the story where Eugene doesn't shoot him, but where Jimmy uses all the same master manipulation brainwashing tools that we've watched Michael do for 10 episodes, where he uses his power of persuasion. He uses all the tools in his little toolbox to basically have Adam turn his back on Michael and that that would be the ultimate undoing for Michael. And ultimately, maybe he does kill him at the end of this whole thing. But first, he's going to play with his dinner. You know, first, he's going to make Michael lose his mind. So that is a story I thought I was about to see, which Mm -hmm. just made Eugene that much more like, oh, my God, did that just happen? Yeah, I mean, in some ways, it really makes it out of it makes it uh, a, a real twist, a real heart wrenching twist that Eugene is such a, a a murder weapon in the end. Did you know that was going to be a gun in the bag? Yes, I hundred percent knew that's what he was buying at Bufa's. I 
for some reason had this weirdo sense, especially the way they had him walk through the kitchen and everything, that it was like poison or something. Because I guess in a way, you know how they say like poison is like a woman's like weapon. I thought mm-hmm. for some reason that him being so young and so little and, and inexperienced that I thought maybe he would go with a different weapon that wasn't a gun. No, everything about that entire situation when he walks in and especially going in the back, the idea of a black market gun, the cash in the envelope, all of it spoke by maybe it's because I've watched a lot of TV and movies and and, and crime procedural kind of gangster things and or played a lot of video games. But all of it screamed he's buying a gun because now we've bought the gun. The gun has to get used somehow. By the way, Bufus Lounge, totally real place. One thousand and one esplanade avenue in new orleans it's a 24 7 dive bar with pub grub like burgers and breakfast plus live music some nights and a jazz brunch it has a four out of five stars rating on yelp and you cannot buy a gun there as far as i am aware from the internet just a little shout out to Bufa's lounge because it's the last real place we get to see in the show 1001 esplanade avenue e-s-p-l-a-n-a-d-e avenue Well, let me ask you. So what do you think Jimmy would have done with Adam had Eugene not burst in on the scene? I really can't decide there. I whatever it was, I think you're right. It's definitely going to be playing with his dinner. I think there is I think there's retribution, karmic retribution for Jimmy now that Carlo has gotten off. Well, a couple things. One, I think it's bad business now that Carlo has gotten off to kill Michael or Adam because Jimmy has now Michael in his pocket. He forever has this information and leverage over him. So Adam dying in a lot of ways is the worst thing for Jimmy from a business standpoint. It's very useful to have a judge in your pocket who can do you favors. Much less like Trevor and his boat, there's no way that this blackmail would have ended just with Carlo's trial. So I think he keeps Adam alive for a long time. And I think there's something really twisted that Jimmy would appreciate. This kind of goes towards his 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 talk with Carlo at the beginning of the episode. You know, sometimes you have to show judgment, not impulse, brains, not balls. And I think Jimmy very much operates from brains, not balls, judgment, not impulse. And so there's a lot of good twisted enjoyment in having adam be a part of the family the baxter family because what can michael do right what what is he going to do and whatever he does do if he tries to romeo and juliet separate adam and fia he's going to lose that adam is going to choose the girl oh a hundred percent a hundred percent so it might and jimmy knows that jimmy is a smart guy he knows michael is in an impossible position so he's going to continue playing with michael's emotions and fuck with him because why not you know he still has a dead kid that he's still trying to make up for and not just why not but because of the the stress and death desperation and the hoops that he had to jump through to figure out it was Michael like there is something very you know go back to the eye for an eye part of this where he doesn't want this to end swiftly he could have killed Michael way back on the docks you know he didn't have to let it go this far but there is something about making him go through the meat grinder of everything because we watched Jimmy go through it All of this, whereas Gina went to bloodlust right away, Jimmy has been dealing with the grief for most of the series. And I think only now is turning to the retribution stage of his grief. Because now he knows his other son is safe, he can kind of let his business brain work a little bit and his mobster brain work a little bit and take advantage of the situation. I think Eugene killing Adam 
uh, killing Eddie, well, killing Carlo, but killing Adam is really a bad development for Jimmy based on what I guess my guess is that he would have done with him. I want to talk about Eugene for a second, because I think it's very heartbreaking that Eugene, this kid who has this future ahead of him, we know he's intelligent. He's so young. He has to make his way in the world now. But now he's gone and done this thing. He has now gone and killed Adam in in this moment of impulse, the really only moment of impulse we've seen him exhibit the entire series. Did you think it was impulse? Well, impulse insofar as it's not a great thought out decision because what are the consequences going to be? No, it's not impulse because he had to go buy the gun. Then he had to go to the Baxter Hotel. He had to figure out a way in. Or how about this? He tried to get the real information out there and handle this in the justice system. He came to the courtroom. He was willing to testify. He was willing to stare down the Baxters, look in their faces. He was willing to do that. But only when Michael shut the door on that situation and he truly Mm. felt like he had no cards left to play. I would say it was an act of desperation, but I would not say it was an act of impulsivity. I feel like he, he really did try several ways to get, I I don't even want to say the word justice, but to get the real information out there. And this was just like a final straw. Yeah, I mean, I think it's not I don't think it's a coincidence that the previously on for this episode included his conversation with Big Mo about how the Baxters have to pay. And she says they will. But I play the long game, you know, but even there, you could see he's antsy. He's only going to put up with the system for so long. And he goes along with Lee and her plan. And she has to have that that teary breakdown of, you know, he meaning Michael wasn't the man I thought he was. And then she hands over the envelope of cash. You're right. He definitely tried the system. But the idea idea of killing somebody at when you're only 14 13 14 years old is an impulsive decision because you have just changed the entire course of your life forever how long your life will go on you have just changed your life forever and i can't possibly think you have gone through all of the consequences of that so i think i'm using impulsive that way impulsive in the grand scheme of your life but similar to what would have jimmy done with adam had the story not played out the way it did what does eugene do now what happens to eugene after this episode ends do you think well i think he's on the run i think he's running to big mo i think that's the only place i can think that he would go and I think he's going to hope that possibly, I mean, for as you know, in terms of Jimmy Baxter, Eugene didn't wrong Jimmy Baxter. Not really. You know, well, he was yeah, aiming no. and he was there with a gun and that's all true. But I don't I mean, I don't think that he's just lucky he didn't kill Carlo or I, I honestly think that bullet was I felt that bullet was going to go through Carlo and through Gina. And now we were going to have two men who lost their wives. And like it was going to be a whole thing that was bringing a whole nother level that would have made more sense had we gone into the Robin storyline in a way. Or if we knew there was a second season. There's a whole aspect to the Robin storyline, too, where when you listen to Michael talk about her and and c- continually trying to say that he didn't want to tell Adam because he didn't want to tarnish his reputation. There's no aspect of Michael that seems particularly upset about her being dead as much as he gets upset upset about the idea that adam's final memory of her is tarnished which i think is a really interesting thought and i think it's a really interesting storyline and there's something behind it there is a whole story behind michael and robin and her death and and how he feels about it because it's only a year 
out from there yeah. and he seems pretty fucking over it yeah. <laughs> even when you think back to the first episode where he goes and leans up against her gravestone yeah. he doesn't seem particularly again upset it's more kind of resigned i don't there's a whole i don't want to get back into robin again no but there is a whole thing there and the whole idea of what have you done and what the, mm-hmm. Man, I'm telling you, that line, that fucking stranger thing, I was like... Well, even as he storms away, I mean, not only the fucking stranger, because he says it with such oh, vitriol in his voice. so he harsh. Sa- his last line to her as he turns away and storms up the stairs is, the fuck have you done, Elizabeth? Yeah. I mean, holy shit. Like, what have you done? We didn't see it. What did you do? Yeah. I mean, good Lord, woman. Good Lord, Senator Grandma. <laughs> but I, yeah, I don't know what happens to Eugene. And that's really heartbreaking because he's one of the innocents who really had to deal this entire... Uh, series about things being done to him and done to his family and him being really powerless this is the first thing he's really done affirmatively in the entire series and it's heartbreaking no 14 year old should ever have to go back door buying a gun and i think it's interesting that he goes to this bufa's lounge to buy a gun and not to desire right he's not getting a gun off of little mo or big mo so there's something to that you say he runs to them for protection and i think you're right because it's probably his only option but the fact that he doesn't get the gun from them the fact that he doesn't run well, they would have stopped him they would have said this is a bad idea you need to stop because it's bad for business and bad for everything everything you're doing is bad for desire sure but again take a long look in the mirror when the gangbangers are telling you don't go kill the guy right. you should probably stop and take a long look in the mirror about the choices you're making in your life but i'm shooting so, that back to it's not impulsive he even knew not to ask those particular people because they would have stopped him so i give him a lot of credit that i mean to say that it's impulsive because there's consequences i think again is like specious reasoning i mean he knows there's going to be consequences. He doesn't even try to hide what he's doing. He walks in the center of a, of a room with people who are all looking at him. He doesn't wear a mask. He doesn't like have anything. I'm like, he knows shit's going to go down, but he doesn't care anymore. He has been let down by so many people. Uh, sure. I'd argue the fact that he doesn't care, it supports the idea that he hasn't actually thought through the consequences. No 14-year-old can really understand the idea that they are probably going to die as a result of their actions and maybe and maybe he doesn't care maybe but i have a hard time believing because i think most adults don't <laughs> i think know you love consequences. eugene i thought that i love eugene i just don't think a 14 year old has the capacity to i mean do i understand that. i know yes on some level yes i mean executive reasoning whatnot you have to be 25 years old especially if you're a boy to even have that fully formed. So I totally get you. I just think that he actually showed a great deal of planning, more planning than Michael did, for God's sake. You know, I mean, I'm impressed and and, and, and so impressed that that baseball followed along and it ended up being Michael's money, Mike, that bought the gun that killed Adam. Oh, my God. It's Shakespearean yes. in, its, in its scope, for sure. It is. So people who get pissed, who look at this and say, why didn't you finish the Franny storyline, blah, blah, blah. I want you to go to the crispness of what I just said, the domino effect of that baseball to money, to actually purchasing the gun, to ending up being the gun that kills the sun. Oh, my God. That's a great point. It's impressive. It is impressive. And and honestly, it comes down to, I think, all, all of the things that we didn't get to see, the things that I think purely for time and editing, because they could have told another three hours of the story easily, easily. and still not like rapping. But I think they really did hit all of the points that they needed to do. And the baseball is a great 
indicator of that because this goddamn thing like the like the feather in uh Forrest Gump follows us throughout the entire story. I don't know why I'm on a Forrest Gump kick in this episode. <laughs> no, but it does and it was something that we had said. It touched every person's life in different ways and had things happen just a little bit differently at different points had had Kofi you know gotten out of there a little faster you know and and had just just every little moment happening happened a little bit different the baseball was like the little spotlight following you know where we were supposed to be looking at various points in time it was a lot I I was very like Wow. I mean, that was really impressive. I know there were still some moments here that we we didn't really even hit on. I could have had the trial go longer with Carlo and everything that was happening with him. I don't know. I don't know. What what did you think about Carlo and Nancy and the way that this sort of like all played out in the last moments of the trial? You know, I, I think Carlo was interesting because I actually think he adds them. I think he ends up being a pretty credible witness on the stand in the end. Other than up until the point that he loses his cool, I think he actually sells the story that Xander and the defense's story was trying to sell. Do I think it actually gets him off without all of Michael's machinations? No, but he did better for for a longer time than I thought he would have. But of course, the guy is the ultimate villain in this story in a lot of ways. And again, that punchable, punchable face. Him saying, you know, calling her a cunt. And then how does Xander not account for in their defense story the fact that there's video that shows the, the cell's never been closed? That was driving that me crazy. was nuts. And like such a crazy thing. Like, I'm sorry, until he called you a stupid cunt, you weren't gonna play that video (laughs) what because she's like hang on just because you said that (laughs) i was like now who's the stupid cunt it was like oh my god i was only gonna punch it with one hand behind my back but now i'm using both hands i mean right you know i was impressed at how though that 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 information happened there with you know with having that information come out from carlos testimony and lee instantly being like hold on a tick that doesn't sound right i'm gonna go check this out and not call over there and just like be like hey can you guys check the cell doors do they how do they lock exactly no 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 physically go stand in a cell impressive in so many ways lee's journey in this episode was nancy's journey over the last couple of episodes that all it's funny that in the end of the day the two women that michael fatefully called into his life though they would have never been any of the wiser both close in on him in this episode his story unravels with very minimal actual thread pulling it all comes crashing down and it all goes back to that decision that you and i said what were you doing all the way back when when he he calls them because he needs them but when he decides not to turn adam in why didn't he pull them off of the case? Why did he keep Lee around? Why did he keep Nancy involved in the case? My God, man, what a bad, bad decision that was. And we called it way back when. But we got to go back to it. If this was a family drama, let's be upset about it. But this is a mystery suspense. You got to keep those ladies on. I also want to point out in that whole, like, you gave us a little bit, but then you took it right back kind of moments. Lee and her whole, oh, you're going to bring that up with me? How dare you? What happened to Lee? what is her history with gangs and and all this because i thought that would matter because her going to the cell standing Mm. in the cell and closing the door felt like a moment where she was having some sort of ptsd or trauma or something and i was like i want to dig deeper with this character she's so rich 
they hadn't hit on it for so, so long. And then I exactly like you, the cat calling and the way she was able to keep her composure, but she was clearly going through a thing while listening to it. The experience, the sensory experience of being in the cell and the door closing and the cat calling that and click. The whole heaviness of the door. Oh my god! While while on what in one hand, like the forefront of her brain, trying to figure out this thing about the locks and the doors and the fa- and and the fact that Carlos' story is bullshit. The other underlying aspect of her, she's dealing with the experience of being in the cell with the caterwauling and all of that kind of stuff. It was really well done. Lee had a great episode. I would have li- I would have liked to have seen this Lee through more of the episode through more of the series i feel like we she wrote the bench too too much for what she was able to do how tonight. many of the side characters could we say rode the bench for too too much and again i gotta say though if your bench is full of people who potentially are the whistleblower if that bench is thick and deep and and solid like none of these people are just laying out here like you don't even feel like they're of any need anymore all of them were real Characters who we really thought could do damage. Nancy, Franny, Charlie, Lee, you know, Senator Grandma. All of those people were rich, deep characters who all could have changed the the game at any point in time. And without them, there's no mystery. But in, in a lot of ways, it was great how it did unravel because Michael had so much built up goodwill in his life because he was your honor for so, so long. There is a natural and a poetic justice to the fact that it all fell apart. Finally, after 10 hours of watching him kind of half-ass his way through this ever-increasing, escalating clusterfuck of a world that he was creating, for himself that it finally did fall apart what did you think about that audio moment of them actually having michael have that sort of dizzying second and you could hear all the lures going your honor your honor your honor your honor like it happened like all from all over during the scene where he's watching fia and yeah adam yeah what the, the them droning on because they're arguing about whether or not eugene can testify they're they're actually talking real dialogue and it's so well done but the your honor your honor that's all you can really hear of it really i was like oh man like they're doing it it's like one of those things and when you finally like for some people i know the title is like whatever okay he's a judge or whatever, whatever but like it was questioning your honor and asking him your honor and it was like oh this is the little moment it's michael back in the back of that that cop car from so many episodes ago you know having to defend letting off the panty sniffer rapist guy you know you can't you you can't judge a man on what you'll fear you become. You have to judge him on the facts before you kind of thing. That was, I always thought that that was Michael talking about himself and the decisions he was making and how he viewed himself. And all it all came to home to roost. And, and even doctoring up the juror note to play the 911 tape. It, Whoa, on that, by the way. And what a, what a, what, I mean, there was no subterfuge or, or spycraft here. It was just, fuck it. I'm writing a note yeah. from the juror and I'm putting it on a desk. Like, I give up. I need to get this shit nailed down. After Lee's impassioned, cleanse your soul. It's not me. It's you, Michael, who needs to cleanse your soul. After all that, he's still like, fuck it. Like, I'm, <laughs> I, I, this is the road I'm traveling down. And for good or bad, the, the road to hell is paved with good intentions. And I am on that, I am on that highway to hell. Charles, 
Harley on the steps broke my heart. Not only the I would have been there for you and his his still statement calling him brother, his statement of love for confessing that he knows Adam is the one who did it, but then his realization that the Baxters got to Michael. He says, they got to you. And the heartbreak. He's not angry at Michael. He's not. He's not he's he feels sadness and pity for this man who is his brother from another mother. And it was heartbreaking, heartbreaking for me. I know you're a big Charlie fan. What do you think of that scene with him? Oh, I agree it, that that complete and total just I've I've been such a good friend for you. So I've thought I mean, it turns out my friend just fell down the rabbit hole and I didn't even see it happening. And, you know, I think that less people could see this happening in something like a murder trial in which your best friend is the judge and, you know, the mafia got to him. But I think that we've all had moments like this where you turn and you realize, like, my friend, you know, got into drugs or my friend, you know, did something that that can't be undone. And you have that moment of you're like, God, if I had been a better friend and also that that despair of like, why did you take that step? Why did why did you take that? Whatever. I, I had a I had a high school friend who stole money from my parents. Why didn't you talk to me first? Why did you do that? Why did you create a situation now where my parents know you stole money from my family? Like, why did you do that? Things like that happen and you're like, if only I had been a better friend and I could. So I really, really felt for Charlie in that moment. Like, oh, my God, if you had just talked to me, we didn't have to get this far. There's so many instances of that, though. Again, this is another theme you and I talked about so, so often throughout the series. The the cover-up ends up being so much worse, Caroline, than the crime. And not that Rocco's death should be trivialized, but all of the literal carnage and death that followed from the death of one person. Yeah. It's the cover-up. The, the, the cost of the cover-up here has been so, so, so much greater and worse than the actual crime how do you ever justify it how can it ever be okay i want to be super clear because because neither rocco nor adam were like hardened criminals or something where where they you know where adam murdered rocco this was an unfortunate terrible accident that happened Mm -hmm. but it was just an accident Mm -hmm. adam wasn't on drugs he wasn't being reckless he literally was having a medical emergency this has happened where people have had a stroke on the highway and killed other people it happens and triggered by the death of the memory the anniversary of his mother's death i mean he was and being chased by a black suv who will never know who is in there antagonizing him Blair, Blair Underwood. Blair Underwood <laughs> driving that SUV. Mr. We know it was you. <laughs> Mr. Red Barn himself, no doubt. Um, yeah, I, I just, I feel like there's something that has to go back to that point because I think it's really easy to be like, well, he's a murderer and Adam was a murderer and, and, and Rocco was from this mafia family. No, there were two 17-year-old boys in which there was an accident from a medical emergency that's what happened. I mean, when you take it as benign as that situation truly, truly was, then it's that much more heartbreaking that nobody had any malice in that scenario. It makes me sad. You have to wonder if there's been a point or there will be a point when Michael is done, the coroners take Adam's body away from him and he has to go stare himself in the mirror and he takes a step back. You have to wonder if there will be a point where he says, Look what I have done. 
look what I look at what havoc and chaos and sadness and grief that I have wrought down on this community because it's tremendous the blood trail that has that ends literally in his lap with his son bleeding out from his neck wound in his lap as he as he wails silently and the shawshank opera plays i know shawshank coming back i love that loved love that moment yay for those callbacks what yay for that callback but yay for the full circle this of it all and beginning with the sad unfortunate accidental death of Rocco spanning all through the lower ninth and all through New Orleans, a, a trail of death and deceit and destruction, and then literally coming home to Michael's lap with his own son while Jimmy right across from him, just leg a leg length away holds his daughter crying who had to be pried off of Adam's body. I mean, what a sad, intimate, close knit affair this all ends up being in the very end. It's it's tremendous. It, it truly is tremendous. And and Shakespearean in its epic poetic justice and irony of it all and, and injustice of it all. I, I'd say in the end, it's just injustice all around for everyone. The worst thing that really, really also gets to my heart is that at the end of the day here, do you feel like there's any outcome for Michael other than like suicide? No. no. I, I if- truly can't see any other ending for michael no i I, for me hard it's it's heartbreaking for me though this this in the next day or two after this episode maybe after adam is buried uh or wherever the funeral arrangements are for adam i feel like mm, charlie comes out and finds Django on his doorstep a note in his collar and and we see the we see the backside of Michael leaving, and that's the final time anyone ever sees Michael Desiato. I'm I'm positive, based on how this ends, that's the only way that makes sense to me. Absolutely, I you know yeah, let's let's talk about some people we feel really bad for in this. Fia, I feel awful for that girl. I think she is in therapy uh, at least three times a week going forward. For someone who didn't believe in God and had a lot of issues with God to begin with, this is not going to help that at all. I feel bad for everyone. I, honestly, I do. I feel bad for so many of the people in this series. I feel bad, you know, someone that we really didn't talk about, and it's interesting because uh, of her reaction in this episode, is Nancy. Yeah. You know, there, there's a whole aspect of Nancy, and I'm curious what you think was the final straw that she began investigating Michael and ooh, Adam's yes, alibi. Yes, I'm just going to talk about this alibi portion because, ooh, there was a little fatal flaw in Michael's plan that I want to talk about so bad. So go ahead. What's your question? Well, so my, so when she finally, when Charlie confronts her on the bench and he ends up making the deal about, you know, offering a real task force to clean up the police in exchange for letting Michael take the fall for Adam, before that, she counters what Michael did as 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 almost like she was betrayed. She she gives this line about how she was the only one working Robin's case when everyone else had given up on it. And it really struck me weird. It was a weird line that struck me as, is Nancy more upset at Michael because she feels betrayed that she was such a good friend as she sees it during this time with Robin's death, which again calls into question how upset was Michael really about Robin's death? Or is she really upset about 
Michael, she thinks, being the one who killed Rocco Baxter and letting all of this happen. I'm not sure which one is she's actually upset more. I actually think she might be feeling a little more like betrayal than outrage at the actual murder aspect. I think that when you are someone who is especially in a position like being a detective or an investigator of some sort and you allow a friendship to cloud your judgment, you allow yourself to be manipulated. I think that there is so much stress and so much anger that it it is so far past the fact that Michael did it. It's the fact that, you know, I'm a professional and I, and I have done so many favors for this man and I have gone above and beyond and to be like slapped in the face like that, that ultimately I was just used and taken advantage of and manipulated, insult to injury, insult to injury, like all over the The fact that I think she could, once she would realize that, okay, maybe this was Adam who did it and this, this probably was an accident, all this stuff. Like it actually, I know it's terrible to be like, it's not that bad of a crime because again, it's an accident, but there's something to that where it's like, it wasn't this malicious, intense, you know, murder type of situation. I think that that part is just so low on the totem pole of in, of, of tragedy for Nancy compared to the the amount of letting things go, of ignoring facts that didn't make sense. How much that would shake you to the core as your profession, I think would just uh, that would that would be the worst thing for me. I, I think you're raising a good point. I think she had a real burr about her this entire series about robin's death in a way michael never had i go back to all of the interactions they had early on once the car got involved and nancy was working with him on recovery of the quote-unquote stolen car you know and she's even spinning theories that the car was stolen on the anniversary as robin's death and that can't be a coincidence she wants she was more than the fans in the in in any of the groups or on social media nancy costello wanted resolution on robin's storyline she wanted to see Blair fucking Underwood in this episode more than (laughs) anyone and did not get her resolution. I don't know what it is about that or about the devotion that she thinks she's demonstrating as a friend or just professional pride that it went unsolved. Um, She had, she, I would say she was borderline obsessed with that murder and thought that that was her being a loyal friend to Michael that, Everything that happened that she was uncovering about Michael in the last couple of episodes and beginning to suspect him of 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 not being the good guy, maybe that she thought he was really felt came across more like she was reacting to a betrayal. Uh, She was a thousand times more interested in connecting everything to Robin's murder, Robin's murder, Robin's murder than Michael ever demonstrated any kind of interest even last week she's in his office screaming at him or not screaming but she's yelling at him you you knew about her affair and you never told us and he's like i'm in the middle of this fucking murder trial of a gangster yeah, son yeah. like i got some other shit going on i gotta deal with don't i don't i can't deal with my kid and his mother's you know affair right now but right. she wouldn't let her rest she goes to the grandmother to tell the son Nancy, it's none of your fucking business. It's yeah, but not. it is because this is her. This is her case, and like yes, you said, this yes, is her yes, baby. Yes, I get it. I get and, it. And I mean, she but... has to find this. But if you found out that your your good friend was actually keeping information that was hindering the case, I mean, 
God, talk about just feel like you've just been, oh, just sabotaged, like the anger you would have. Sure. But I think that's also a little bit of a failing, though, of the emotional components of the case involved too i i I, as 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 a former husband i can imagine very easily a circumstance where i wouldn't want to necessarily talk about my uh, wife's or my deceased wife's infidelity especially it strikes me as kind of plausible why bring that up when my son has this memory of her and i don't want to deal with it i'm just trying to move on with my life now granted there's a murder aspect to it and so you should be concerned about that and I get Nancy's point about that. I don't think it's a black and white issue. I don't think it's a you're suspicious if you don't tell us about these intimate aspects of your marriage component to it that she really kind of overlooks or or dismisses as not being valid. I think I think they're a little valid. You know, it's not like I don't know. I think when your wife is murdered, I haven't you seen enough of those like datelines and shit like that. If your wife is murdered, you're expected to tell. I mean, it's not just it's not just a divorce. The woman is dead and we're trying to figure out who killed her. So it's not just like, oh, you don't really feel like about telling about the bad shit that come went on in your relationship because like y'all are not really getting along. She's dead. She's dead. And we got to figure out who did it. So, I mean, that's a whole nother level. And hopefully you never know what it's like to be in that position. But it would be like, ah, you've got to tell if you knew there was another man as a potential suspect. You've got to tell. I guess I I understood Michael's position because of what was going on now and that things that Nancy obviously didn't even appreciate was going on now. Michael Michael's not worried about Robin and her murder right now. Michael is just worried about keeping himself and keeping his son alive right now. But from Nancy's perspective, none of that makes sense because she thinks the car is wrapped into Robin's murder. He made such a good case about that. So... So everything he's doing doesn't make sense to her. Like, why wouldn't you want to tell everything you knew? Um, Which still, it does beg the question about why he didn't tell the police. I mean, I understand. I get it on, on one hand. But if you had someone who murdered your wife, wouldn't for the love of your children, you worry about their safety and want that person to be caught? We're making some assumptions here, though, that I don't know that I necessarily agree with. Again, that's a pretty intimate looking picture with the glasses and the hat in, in the picture. Maybe Michael knows more about the quote unquote affair than he's letting on. And maybe Michael had adjudged that whatever Robin was doing was not actually a part of her murder. Michaels definitely seems like someone who is arrogant enough to have made that call that my wife was living this life over here and he maybe had Lee over here. And for the benefit of Adam, they were not saying anything. But I think we're making an assumption that it was an affair that was clouded in mystery and therefore tied to her murder. We're assuming that Michael didn't do the math way back a year ago and put aside the affair or whoever she was with as a cause of that murder. I don't know if I'm making myself clear. The, the, The idea that Michael would have already looked at the guy involved and that circumstance and had deemed it not relevant to 
whatever the murder was. I mean, we're going to have to go with that because I don't think we're going to get any more information here. So I think that, you know, the interesting thing is this is based on another story. Well, it was was based on an Israeli story. The, is the that COVID. one finished, though? Do we know? I believe it is. Well, yes. so I'd be curious actually now to go back and compare and contrast and see if they play it out exactly the same way or if there's anything different. Do they have any of the characters finishing out in a different way? Very curious about that. I don't know if there would be things that I want them to work harder on on these anymore because I do really, I'm really, really trying hard to subscribe to if you're going to enjoy mystery and you're going to enjoy suspense, you've got to let go the fact that there's going to be storylines you never get any closure on. And that's okay. That was actually the, the point of what they were playing in this and leaving you curious while it can be annoying to some listeners, it's actually what makes the genre fun, <laughs> you know? It actually yeah. wants, makes you want to go back and maybe watch it again and try to find other things or, you know, hope that they have a, a second season or if they make a sequel or something like that, depending on the show. I, I mean, I think this was a very successful run for this entire series. I think overall, I felt really happy with our characters, the depth of each character was amazing. I mean, we I can compare it to another, to the other one we did Undoing, and I can say I thought these characters had more going on with them than that one did. I agree. I think I think I think the characters in Your Honor were much more complexly drawn than the characters in The Undoing. There was a decent amount of fire that went with the smoke in Your Honor. Yeah, I think there was tons of fires here, and to the point where <laughs> lots of fire, everything on fire, was, everything was on fire. But how how was this exploding level of fire? <laughs> but to the point that all of these characters, even down to like Carlo, if I sat down and said, "Okay, listen, I want you to write fan fiction." about you know any one of these characters you could choose anyone or if you were signed any one of these you could continue the story and you could make it rich and interesting and believable to carrying out this story that doesn't always happen you know sometimes you just get such this little threads here or there about these people but this one you could keep it going i think that's a real big sign of a great great story I mean, we talked about the the lack of tension and the release of the leverage that Jimmy would have over Michael um, for a season two. There are characters here and there are stories here where you could continue the Your Honor universe and have a really compelling second, third season of stories for sure. This now becomes a binge series for people. What's your final, I guess, love it or leave it for Your Honor to give your recommendations out to your friends? I loved it. I thought that the casting was fantastic. I think that they did so much with each character. Michael's true anguish and putting you in a position of being a parent and having to figure out, like, what would I do? What is love, I think, is one of the biggest question marks of this entire series. I know what is justice is is the is the sort of your honor theme of it, if you will, like the courtroom uh-huh. drama of it all. But the what is love and what is loving someone mean is a question that has has so many parts to it, especially, um, you know, in this story where it comes to parents, friendships, you know, who do you, what do you owe to an, to a, to a passed away spouse? What do you owe to, to all these different people in the story? I thought that they delved into a lot of fantastic questions and, and we got some good answers and some ones that make you think about what would you do? And those are the best stories. If I sit there and actually wonder, what would I do? You win. You did it. <laughs> How about you? I think at the end of the day, you and I have probably spent about 
15 to 20 hours talking about this 10 hour series any show that can generate that kind of level of conversation and make you ask the questions what would you do if, you know the john Keonas, you know what would you do in if you were in this position kind of questions and that's everything in the show everything in the show is asking especially if you're a parent what would you do what wouldn't you do to save your child there's a great conversation in this episode where michael says to lee you know, is there any level of justice or precedence that you would put above your child's life and michael is clearly saying no my my child's life is worth more than all the justice in the land and all the precedence in the land that's an interesting question because in a lot of ways i always feel like that whenever these kinds of things come up like i don't know that there is anything i wouldn't do for my kid but Man, when you look at what Michael did and the consequences and devastation he brought forth, it makes you stop and think maybe there should be limits to what you do because he's destroyed so many worlds, so many worlds that he doesn't even realize he, you know, what he's destroyed. And it, and it's not just Michael too, Adam, but how far Charlie was willing to go and Nancy and Lee mm-hmm. and how much they were willing to give up. Lee gave up her job, you know, Lee gave up her life, you know, Sarah, what what was Michael willing to do to so many other people? You know, it was just amazing. So I, I thought this was a great one. It was good, twisty, turny television that makes you just want to come back so fast. I hope the, I hope the bingers really enjoy this one uh, because we had to wait every week. Right. I, I hope they enjoy it. You know, I hope Brian Cranston and some more of the cast members and Peter Moffat, I hope they get the award season recognition. I know Brian's already been nominated, I believe, for a Golden Globe at this point for his work in the series. You know, I I think this is the kind of show that channels like Showtime and HBO and the high-end cablers like AMC and FX, they should be making this kind of series because fans are going to turn out for it. They're going to have conversations for it. Watching this show take off it a little bit slow and then pick up steam in the social media conversations every week was really heartening watching people come to this. Just watching our our ratings for this podcast grew exponentially every week. I mean, we're, we're I mean, not to toot our horn, we're ranked in the top 200 <laughs> 150 podcast in like five different countries right now is this the uh toot your own fucking horn portion <laughs> this is a part of the show where i toot our own fucking horn i mean yeah we're we're ranked in the top of the charts in like five different countries right now for this podcast that's and and i think we put out a good podcast but i yeah. think it's because people want to talk about it they want they want to dig into the questions and the meat of the show that's fantastic you can't ask for t more from tv than that if you guys have enjoyed Tales from Yaya, please join us at other Pod Clubhouse podcasts. We have so many great shows that we're covering right now. We'd love for you to come over and subscribe. This is Caroline. And this is Mike. Thank you for listening to Tales from Yaya's The Your Honor Podcast. Don't forget to rate, review, subscribe to this podcast at Apple Podcasts or wherever you listen to podcasts. Uh, we'd love for you to leave a five-star rating so that you don't have to stand outside a hotel and scream as you hung our child. Don't <laughs> oh hug gosh. our child. We don't want you to. Don't do that. Um, Thank you, guys. We'll see you at the next podcast. Thank you for listening. This has been an original Pod Clubhouse production. Pod Clubhouse is a podcast network dedicated to encouraging collaboration among podcasters and friends to bring a fresh voice and diverse perspective on a wide array of content. Please visit and leave a comment for us at podclubhouse.com. Rate, review, and subscribe to our podcast feeds on Apple Podcasts. Follow us on Twitter, Instagram, and Facebook. You can find us at Pod Clubhouse. Our DMs are always open, and we'd love to hear from you.